and welcome back to the island stay a while keep it locked because we got a lot on tap on this week's episode on today's episode Bilal and i will recap the nba trade deadline we will set the stage for the final four we will discuss some of the great final four runs over the past decade and we will give our thoughts on the nfl schedule adding a 17th game and of course don't forget to give baller island a follow on instagram and twitter for more sports news and analysis welcome back to another episode of baller island jay sahoda alongside Bilal lahi another jam-packed week in the sporting world in the books and a ton to recap nba trade deadline sweet 16 and elite eight in the books and some NFL trades with the NFL draft up and coming. A lot of stuff to get to, but I guess we will get started with the NBA trade deadline. B, any first thoughts on the weekend? Anything kind of pop out to you? Like you said, man, jam-packed weekend. Um, let's get right into it. We'll go trade deadline. What do you think stuck out? To me, what stepped out, obviously being a Raptors fan, I was definitely a little confused with not moving Kyle Lowry. Moving Norman Powell, I wasn't totally surprised by that. And I definitely wasn't surprised by moving Matt Thomas and Terrence Davis. But definitely the Kyle Lowry thing definitely confused me a little bit based on what Masai wants to do in terms of, you know, in a direction standpoint. You know, you're sitting in 11th place, you're still struggling. So I don't really know where they're going there. So I was a little confused with that. Victor Oladipo going to Miami. I really like that. And I hope that that one turns out for the best for Miami. And then the other one that, that kind of, you know, that definitely stood out was LaMarcus Aldridge going to Brooklyn. And as if Brooklyn just, you know, as if they don't have enough bigs already. And now they go out and get LaMarcus Aldridge. And, you know, that that kind of just was a bit of an eye roller. But I mean, it is what it is, but um, what were your takeaways from the NBA trade deadline? Yeah, uh, I like the Powell move. I thought I, I like Gary Trent a lot. I think he's younger, and I like that backcourt we go on forward with Van Vliet and Gary Trent. Um, the Lowry thing did surprise me. I thought the second that they got rid of Matt Thomas and Terrence Davis for the second-round pick, I thought they were clearing space away for Lowry. 100%. Ready, refreshing my phone all the time, and it just never ended up happening. Um, yeah, other than the ones you mentioned, I like the Vooch trade. I think it fits well for both teams. I think um, Orlando gets Wendell Carter. I kind of like Wendell Carter, kind of set them up for more of the longer game, whereas Chicago's trying to make the playoffs right now. So the Vooch trade makes sense there. Um, my Celtics, I wasn't super high on Fournier, but for two second-round picks, can't go wrong with that. You're adding a, a, an elite, elite shooter, average around 20 a game, kind of going to be a a budget Gordon Hayward for that team for two second rounders. I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, yeah, Aaron Gordon to Denver. There was a lot of speculation on where Aaron Gordon was going to go. I thought they gave up a little bit too much, but now they added JaVale McGee and Aaron Gordon. So now they got pretty athletic in the front court to make up for Jokic. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. I like that one too. McGee going to Denver. Um, but I mean, yeah, back to the Lowry thing. I was the same with you. I think all Raptors fans were kind of on the edge of their seat from two o'clock to three o'clock PM of just 
constantly going on Twitter, seeing what the latest rumors were, refreshing their phone, and just nothing happened. And I'm with you. The minute that I saw Matt Thomas and Terrence Davis get traded, I'm thinking, all right, a trade's coming that with Kyle Lowry in the mix here, and nothing happened. So, I mean, on the, on the other side of things, I do also love Gary Trent and Rodney Hood. I think that was a good move for the team. Gary Trent is younger, has a ton of upside. I loved when he was with Portland. So, I definitely think that was a nice move there. And Rodney Hood's a nice veteran guy to come off the bench as well. So all in all, I wasn't I was happy with that trade. But in terms of some of the other moves, yeah, I was still a bit confused. And we'll see, you know, what if Masai has anything up his sleeve in the offseason and up and coming there. But we'll see what happens there. But the other move in terms of the bio was Andre Drummond going to the Lakers too. They go out and get another guy. And it seems like Brooklyn and LA were very busy trying to get at least somebody from this deadline yeah it's just like the buyout market is just it's kind of ridiculous at this point now it's like you don't want to play somewhere you're on a bad team you're gonna find a way on a contender and Brooklyn's done that twice now with Blake Griffin and Marcus Aldridge and now Lakers getting Andre Drummond it's kind of like they're in the tug of war and uh, I expect both of them to be in the finals yeah, I'm with you. It almost seems as if they're on a collision course to end up meeting in the NBA Finals. And when I look at the Brooklyn Nets, I mean, the, the first thing that, that kind of glares out to me is this team is like the real-life version of the Monstars. Like, they're huge. Durant is massive. You got DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin. I got LaMarcus Aldridge, too. Joe Harris is a big guy as well. Like, good Lord, I would not want to play them if I'm a small team, but... Yeah, I mean, we'll see. There's still a lot of ball left, so we'll see how, how how some of these trades end up happening down the road. But I don't know. We'll we'll find out. We'll see what happens. I think Rondo going to the Clippers is an interesting one too. But we'll see what happens, and we'll see how how these trades kind of work out going forward. Yeah, no, that Rondo one is a good one. Kind of went under the radar, and I like the trade. I think he needs to be on a contender like that and not on Atlanta. But um, other than the NBA, there's uh, some fireworks happening with your squad, the 49ers. Any thoughts about that? Oh, man. I mean, this, this was... I was expecting to possibly have a quarterback taken in the first round at 12. I did not think that they would actually make the move to draft... to, to trade up and get a pick at number three to take a quarterback... I mean, the first thing that kind of stood out to me was I know Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch pretty well over the past four years of following the 49ers, but it's obvious to me there's clearly a guy out of that group, and this is a pretty good group in terms of first-round quarterbacks that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan see as the 49ers' future. It's pretty cut and clear with that. Jimmy Garoppolo, we know, is not the long-term answer, unfortunately, and I've said this previously, of course, any 49er fans listening to this, go ahead and give the 49er way a follow on Instagram and Twitter as well. I talk about the Niners on there, but, and I gave my two cents worth about this situation on the 49er way as well. But in terms of Jimmy Garoppolo, he just can't stay healthy. That's the bottom line. And I think Kyle Shanahan is just sick and tired of 2018 losing out pretty much an entire season without a starting quarterback. And the same thing went for last year when we had teams that were able to compete in the postseason. And because we didn't have our starting quarterback, the 49ers faltered to 4-12 and 6-10. and 10. So this is clearly a move where 
The Niners need an insurance policy. And in terms of where Jimmy Garoppolo is going, it's either two places. It's kind of cut and clear right now. It's either he's going to be a San Francisco 49er in September in 2021, or he's going to be back in Foxborough with your New England Patriots. How honest question here for you too. And I feel like a lot of Patriot fans, it's a very interesting question. You gave Cam Newton a one-year contract and have shown that you're committed to him and giving a full offseason. But then here you are seeing a ton of Jimmy Garoppolo rumors. Who would you rather have? Would you rather run it back with Cam or would you bring back Jimmy Garoppolo? To be honest, I'd rather have neither. That's my starting quarterback. Um, I, I'm not a fan of Jimmy. It never really was. Uh, especially at this point where he's going to be costing them a lot of money. I would not be. I'm not, I'm not too with it. Cam, it's a different story. For one year on a cheap contract, I'd rather fly with that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's a very interesting dynamic that the Patriots seem like they still really want Jimmy Garoppolo, but yet they gave Cam Newton a one-year contract, and you, you gave him weapons. We clearly saw they had an extremely productive offseason, so it's not like the Patriots, you know, are just giving up on Cam Newton. They clearly gave him a good supporting cast to work with going into next season. So it is definitely odd to me to see if they can get can get something better. And yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to cost a ton. He costs a lot. And this is exactly why the 49ers are going in the direction of getting a rookie quarterback because we got to pay a bunch of great players that we have that are young and up and coming. We, got, we still got to pay Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and the list goes on in terms of young guys that are really becoming very important players on the 49ers team. But, and Jimmy Garoppolo's taken up a huge chunk of that with his massive contract, and he's only been on the field for 52% of the games that he's been a San Francisco 49ers. So, getting a rookie, you get him on a rookie deal, and you're getting a top tier quarterback in this year's class. I loved what I saw out of Justin Fields at his pro day. I saw bits and pieces of that. I hope we get him at three. Honestly, I, I don't want Mac Jones. I know in the beginning I, I was fine with it. I wouldn't mind him. But I prefer somebody more mobile, younger, big arm that can do a lot of different things. And oh my goodness, I'm just imagining what a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields would look like in a Kyle Shanahan system with Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Raheem Mostert, Trent Williams, oh my God. Kyle, you check. Are you kidding me? That would be a one-up a, a one up on the LA Rams after going out and getting Matt Stafford. I think that offense would be absolutely insane if you had a young, talented, mobile quarterback. That's Kyle Shanahan's hand-picked guy. I think that's a big deal. But speaking of hand-picked guys, I think that's the whole reason why the Patriots are trying to get Jimmy Garoppolo back. Because he was Belichick's guy, No. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. But I don't, I don't really buy the rumors. I, I don't think, I think um, the Patriots are actually looking in the draft, and I think they've been looking in, at somebody in the draft. You know, he's good boys with Nick Saban too. So I would not be surprised if Mac Jones is still there while they're on the clock. But it would, I would not be surprised as well if the Patriots trade back in the draft instead of trading up, which everybody expects them to do. Trade back pick up a defensive guy, pick up an extra pick, and just let it roll with Cam. Fair. Yeah, I could see that happening too. I mean, nothing Bill, Bill Belichick does surprises me anymore. So I definitely think, yeah, he could trade up. He could trade back. It could go either way. I definitely 
could see Mac Jones being a guy the the Patriots draft. So I don't know. I mean, we we will see what happens going forward. But I mean, in terms of you know being the guy, I think Jimmy Garoppolo when he got traded to San Francisco, he was never Kyle Shanahan's guy. He was trying to get Kirk Cousins. I don't like Kirk Cousins. I'm glad we never got him. But Jimmy Garoppolo comes in and he won. And Kyle Shanahan had no choice because Jimmy Garoppolo came in and all he did was win. And when Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't in the lineup, all we did was lose. So he had no choice but to roll with Jimmy Garoppolo. And listen, I like Jimmy. I've been pro Jimmy for a while now. He gave us hope in a time when us 49er fans were in an extremely dark place. The matter of the fact is he can't stay healthy. And at the end of the day, and I said this the other day as well, this is about the NFL and sports in general are about winning on a consistent basis. Jimmy Garoppolo can win, but he has proven consistently. Now it's been four years consecutively, even dating back to with New England, five years. Jimmy Garoppolo has proven that he's only going to give you a healthy 16-game season every other year. He, he, for some reason, is just not able to play two straight seasons, and that is why the 49ers are making this move. However, for this season... I think it's the best move to keep Jimmy Garoppolo and have him play it out. Jimmy has a lot to prove. The 49ers, I think, would be dumb to start a rookie right away if you're trying to win now. They brought back a handful of guys on a one-year deal that are good. Half of these guys I didn't even think we would be bringing back. I cannot believe we're bringing back guys like Joukowsky, Tart, and K1 Williams. Blows my mind. But we did it. They got them here on a one-year deal. Bring back Jimmy Garoppolo try to win the Super Bowl. If you don't, bring in your guy in 2022 and let's roll from there. But speaking of... The best ability is availability. Absolutely. Without a question. Like the, the 49ers would have been in the playoffs three straight seasons now. And I said this the other day too. If Jimmy Garoppolo was healthy, now the rest of the team was in complete shambles. But if Garoppolo was healthy... The 49ers would have at least at the bare minimum won 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven and played way better than the Chicago Bears who looked like a JV squad in the wildcard round. The Niners would have made the playoffs and looked really good. They, they probably would have still lost to the Saints. Maybe they would have won. Who knows? But they would have made the playoffs as that 7th seed if Jimmy Garoppolo was healthy. It's, it's cut and clear that that's the case. Kyle Shanahan's fed up. I don't blame him for making the move. It's unfortunate. It is what it is. But I totally agree with you. If you're not available, then that's a problem. You know, we're paying Jimmy Garoppolo this huge contract to sit in the press box every other year. That's just not cool. But in terms of the NFL season and the NFL schedule, obviously we're getting into April now. The NFL schedule should be coming out. I have a feeling it will come out in May, same as last year and not April. But the NFL for the first time will have a 17-game season. It was announced just the other day that the NFL will move to a 17-game season. So what this means is there will be a week 18 for the first time ever. The NFL season is still expected to start around the same time. September 9th, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will host that opening Thursday night game. And the season will end on January 9th, which is when week 18 will be played. Wildcard weekend would would begin the weekend after on January 15th. And apparently... They're saying that they might add a Monday night wildcard game, and I'll, and I'll get to that in a little bit. So, wildcard weekend would start a week later than usual, and then the Super Bowl would be February 13th instead of the previous date on the first weekend of February. So, 
Some of the highlighted games, your Patriots will host the Dallas Cowboys. Rams will take on the Ravens. That's a great game. Cardinals at the Browns is a good game. Saints at the Titans. Bucks at the Colts. And then Aaron Rodgers and the Packers take on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So from a fan perspective, these games look like a lot of fun. But what is your take on the NFL adding a 17th game? I hate it. I actually hate it. I think um, the reason it's a 16th game is because the NFL is such a physical sport. It takes too long for these bodies to recover and to add in an extra game. Plus, they already added an extra game last year from the playoffs. So now we have basically two extra games from what we did two years ago. I don't like it. Um, I think it's a lot more injury risk. And one other thing is I think that all of our records that we've been used to, like our entire lives, are now going to be blown out of proportion. Like we're going to look at these dudes now that played all throughout history and we'll be like, what, this dude only had this many yards? Because this guy got a full extra game. All these records are going to be blown out of proportion. I don't like it at all. A team will not be able to finish with a 500 record in 2021. Either a team would finish 8-9 and or a team would finish 9-8. and That is strange as hell. But I agree with you 100%. I absolutely hate a 17-game season. I think the 16-game season was fine the way that it was. The playoffs were fine the way that it was. Adding a 17 was awesome. Loved it. I think that triple-header wildcard weekend stuff was unbelievable. I wasn't too keen on it at first, but once it happened, I loved it. But I agree with you. I, I think a 17-game season, you're adding more injury risk. This is a game where, as we saw last year, where... The, a lot of these teams did not have, well, all of the teams, they did not have a real offseason. A lot of it was on was virtual on Zoom, and they didn't actually get onto the field into things until like late July, early August. And you saw what happened throughout the year. A ton of injuries happened to multiple teams. So this, I think, is a terrible idea. And the only way that I think that this would would have worked in the beginning is if you had a second bye week. That would have been the right decision to make. Right. If you add another bye week, okay, that's fine. You're adding another game, but you're also giving another week of rest. Cool. It adds up to about the same, you know, kind of weeks and stuff. But they didn't. You're adding an extra week, and that's an extra week before the playoffs, an extra game where the starting quarterback could get hurt or someone else could get hurt, a star player that you need before the playoffs. It's just, I don't know. I don't like it. It's pretty cut and clear why they did it. This is all for business and all for ratings and TV deals and all this stuff. I get it. You're trying to make business. But then look at your athletes. You know, you're not being a really great commissioner if you're not looking after your players. And this deal, and it's cut and clear, unless they were to add a second bye week, then I'd say, okay, they're clearly taking that into consideration, but they're not. The other thing that I added in there, too, was the possibility of having a Monday night wildcard game. I absolutely hate that idea. And I'm sure coaches and players are going to dread that idea. That is like, like, I don't even understand like how this would make sense because divisional games, yeah. you have it on a Saturday and a Sunday. Yeah. So if you're playing on a Monday... Then you have to play, and then, and then what? You you would have to play on a Saturday after that. That's absolute BS. But go ahead, finish your thought. No, no, no. That I was 
just going to say the same thing. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Did yeah, they, did it just... Say, it, did they say how they're going to decide the 17th game? Because 16 was so perfect. You play everybody in the division twice. You play two other divisions. Did they say how they're going to get the 17th game? Yeah, no, they did. And honestly, I don't understand it. It seemed super, super complicated. Um, but they they gave the matchups as to what it was. So like I mentioned, some of the games that are going to be there next year. So the Cowboys will play the Patriots, Rams taking on the Ravens. And I think the way that, that they did it, it's something as if like, if you finished first place, Last year, you play the the first place in that same division from like the year before. So the NFC West played the NFC North in 2019. Not last year, but the year before that. It's super strange. It honestly, it makes absolute no sense. But that's the way that it happens. I had to read it up at least like five times to get it. The only thing that I just looked at it, the only thing I saw was the 49ers are playing the Bengals. And I was like, cool, sounds good. Like, that is that is all that I took away from that. And I said, hey, the Cardinals have to play Cleveland. Awesome. Seattle has to go to Pittsburgh. Love it. The Rams have to go to Baltimore. Love it even better. So from a 49ers standpoint, love it. From an, from just a football fan standpoint, I hate the idea. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't understand it. Um, it's definitely 100% for money. And uh, with money comes more injury risk, I guess. That's the sacrifice they're willing to make. Yeah, I mean that's that's the bottom line at the end of the day. I mean it is what it is, but I I I don't know. I don't really know what to say. I mean, you know, it's done now, and we'll see how it turns out. But all I'm saying is, I think a lot of teams are not going to be very happy if injuries start happening in this week 18. As weird as that sounds, like week 18, and then what is it going to be? Because Usually the Sunday night game in week 17 was, what was it, game 256 or something like that? Mm. So what in the hell is it going to be now? It's going to be like, what, game two, like 76 or something? Like, that's just, I don't know, man. It just doesn't sound See, right. A wild but we'll have to... team would have to play 21 games if they were to play in the Super Bowl. Correct. That's a lot of games. Correct. That's, it, it, it is. It's a lot of games and it makes no sense. And I, again, the only way that this would be okay with the players is if you did one of two things. One, you add a bye week during the season, an extra one, so you have two bye weeks, great. Or two, you have a week off between yeah. week 18 and wildcard weekend. Yeah. That is another thing that I think would be a good idea. And I, again, I just I don't understand the idea. And again, I don't think it's official. I saw, I think it was Peter King that reported it, the whole Monday night rumor. I just, I, I, players are going to hate that. Coaches are going to hate that. I don't, I don't know what to say about that, but we'll see if it happens. If it does, I feel like there's going to be a crap ton of backlash about that certain topic. But the NFL, a lot to get to. The NFL draft will be at the end of April. A lot to talk about there. What will the 49ers do at three? We got a whole month to talk about that and to see what happens in the NFL draft and, of course, the NFL schedule, which will eventually come out. On to the NCAA tournament in March Madness, the tournament that we've been waiting for for over a year. It's been quite the success so far, and we have made it to the Final Four with only one game being postponed. So far, so good. Knock on wood that it continues that way and we're able to finish off the last three games of the tournament 
Houston, Baylor, UCLA, and Gonzaga are the final four for this year's NCAA tournament. Your first initial thoughts on the matchups and this past weekend. The matchups. So I think Gonzaga and Baylor are pretty much everybody's um, preseason top two teams. And for them both to be in it with all the wild tournament we've had so far, that's pretty impressive. I think Houston was also one of those preseason teams that a lot of people are high on. So three out of the four, they preseason pretty much got right. Um, Agreed. But yeah, in terms of this past weekend, I was very surprised. I was telling you, I thought USC was going to give Gonzaga a run with their length. And I thought they would have had a shot at kind of neutralizing Drew Timmy. But Drew Timmy just went to work on Mobley. I was so surprised with that. He was unbelievable. Drew Timmy was so good. Yeah, I'm sh- and he held his own on defense too. Uh, like Evan Mobley was not getting his work too easy there for somebody that's known as not a great defender. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was very shocked at that um, Florida State-Michigan uh, game in the Sweet 16. I thought Michigan was going to have trouble, and they absolutely swamped Florida State. And I thought Florida State was also that was wild. one of the teams that could give Gonzaga trouble just because of their length and their physical, and they played hard. And just one of those teams I thought would have given them trouble. Um, yeah, I mean, anything else? Uh, Baylor took care of business. Houston's looking really good on defense. And uh, what, what stands out to you? No, 100% there. I definitely agree with that. And I think the one thing that I look at this Final Four is sanity. And this entire tournament has been insanity with all the upsets and so many teams going down in the first few rounds. The fact that we have two number ones standing, mm-hmm. great. I mean, a number two seed in Houston, love it. And then you got your Cinderella UCLA, which is so funny because it's interesting how in the year where the Blue Bloods are mainly extinct, UCLA, the one Blue Blood that was considered in that group way back in the day, UCLA was considered a strong Blue Blood. And then, of course, nowadays, you know, they're not so much in that mix. Exactly. They're the forgotten team because they haven't really been relevant in a while. And now here they are in a year where Duke, Kentucky didn't even make the round of 64 or the field of 68. Carolina done in the first round. Kansas was destroyed in the second round by USC. Michigan State lost to UCLA in the first four. And now here's UCLA in the final four. I think it's pretty surreal. But before I get to the final four matchups, and we break down the four teams. I just want to give a quick shout-out to Loyola Chicago, Oral Roberts, Syracuse, and Arkansas and Oregon State on a phenomenal season. And I'll start with Oral Roberts, Max Smith. That is a name that I will remember going forward. That dude put on a show in this tournament. Absolutely amazing. What a run for Oral Roberts. And a lot of people know who they are now. So that was a heck of a job there. And honestly, that shot at the end against Arkansas, oh my goodness, that was such yeah. such a good shot. I, honestly, I that was such a tough play to draw up too. Like with that, I think it was what, like maybe three seconds, the way that they were able to draw up that play was, was I was very impressed with that. It was a good look. Yeah, they, they, drew up, they drew up a great look. So 
I just want to congratulate Oral Roberts on a phenomenal season. Syracuse, another great season, of course, under Jim Beheim. Buddy Beheim made a name for himself in this tournament. Loyola Chicago, another team, took down Illinois, unfortunately lost in the Sweet 16. But how about the Oregon State Beavers? I mean, what a run for them. A team that wasn't even supposed to make the tournament, makes the tournament from winning the Pac-12 tournament, comes in, runs the table all the way to the Elite Eight, and then loses a tough, gritty one against Houston. Got to give some love to Ethan Thompson and the Beavers. They balled out. They did a heck of a job there. So just wanted to give some love to some of those teams who got eliminated. But looking ahead to the final four games. Oh, and I also want to give some love to Michigan and Jawan Howard. That was an unbelievable run without Isaiah Livers. I had them losing at least in the round of 32 of the Sweet 16, and they made it to the Elite Eight. I know you and I were both on the same page with that. So, got to give love to Michigan. They, that was a, they, have a, they had a great team even without Isaiah Livers. They did a hell of a job there. So, that was a heck of a game against UCLA the other night. But on to the final four, I will preview Gonzaga, UCLA, and then I'll let you take Baylor and Houston. So, Gonzaga, number one overall seed coming in. We know the record. I don't want to talk about the record. I've been calling it the P word all week long. I'm not talking about the record. All I care about is there's two games. Got to win them both. But Gonzaga won the Western region. This is They will make their second Final Four appearance in program history. Their last one was in 2017 when they lost to North Carolina. Mark Few makes his second appearance as a coach to the Final Four. The Zags defeated Norfolk State, Oklahoma, Creighton, and USC to get here. And in terms of players to watch in the Final Four for Gonzaga, I got everyone. Just name the whole I, 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 I refuse. Yeah, like I refuse to, to just say like a few players. Drew Timmy, the way that he plays in the paint is so great. Like I, I don't even know a word to describe it. Like, He's unguardable. Yeah, like just the patience, the patience that he has. It's like the minute that he gets the ball, he'll wait like a good two to three seconds before he makes his move. It's like, it, it, it is simply incredible what he's able to do. It's like watching a lion catch his prey. He just sits, he chills, he observes, and then he'll just destroy you. Drew Timmy is something else, and he can hit the three too. You got Kispert. I'll just say this about Corey Kispert. After watching him over the past three years to now, Corey Kispert was just the guy that was a shooter. He's a sharp shooter. You know, get him on the edge, get him open, and you'll knock him down. He has turned into this overall great player. He can rebound. He can hit shots. He can drive. Corey Kispert has turned into the whole package this season, and it's been unbelievable to watch. Andrew Nemhart has been something else. And then you got Jalen Suggs, Aaron Cook, Anton Watson off the bench. And this team is just incredible. And I think you just have to just appreciate Joel Ayayi, of course. I knew I was forgetting someone. See, that's the thing. There's so many players that you forget how many good players are on that team because there's so many good ones. Ayayi, his speed, the way that he hustles too. I'm glad he's okay after taking a shot to the nose. But this Zags team is just too good. You got to appreciate it. Sometimes I can't even believe that... I'm watching the Gonzaga Bulldogs play basketball right now after watching all these years of round of 32, sweet 16 exits. And now here we got a team doing what they're doing right now is honestly unbelievable. But they will face the UCLA Bruins. What a run they're on. They're the 11th seed out of the East. They become the second team in March Madness history to go from the first four to the final four. 
This is their first Final Four since 2008. Mick Cronin will make his first Final Four appearance as a head coach. And Mick Cronin's not a guy that some people who are unfamiliar with. He did a heck of a job with Cincinnati over the years, too. And this is only his second year with UCLA. So what a job he's done. UCLA beat Michigan State, BYU, Abilene Christian, Alabama, and Michigan to get here. What a run. And I know you've given some love to Johnny Juzang. This guy has been hooping. Yeah. In that Bama game, though, the whole squad hooped. I mean, there are some big-time shots. Hawkes hit some big shots. Um, Sterling hit some big shots in that overtime, or sorry, Singleton. Tiger Campbell. Tiger Campbell's nice. I mean, they got some good players. I mean, that last game against Michigan, it was pretty much a one-man show, but the game before that, everybody did their part. I definitely agree with that. UCLA has done a heck of a job. Really, it's been a team effort. I know Juzang's been the top guy, but yeah, Tiger Campbell has made some plays. Jaime Hawkins has made some plays too. Bernard has made some plays as well. And honestly, just the way that we gave Gonzaga some love on defense after beating USC, I think we got to give UCLA the same kind of love to hold that Michigan team to under 50 points. It's pretty darn impressive for what they're able to do. This Gonzaga-UCLA game, it is so tough because UCLA has given their best shot to everyone they have faced. And every single time we say someone is going to give Gonzaga a run for their money, it just doesn't happen. And so I don't know how to gauge this game, but I will say I'm going to take the Zags. I think UCLA might give a good shot at this one, but I don't know. Like, I just, Gonzaga's just too good. They've proven that time and time again. And I honestly think at the end of this is going to be a Gonzaga Baylor final, just the way we drew it up back in December. Yeah, I agree. And the scary part, if I'm UCLA, is if we have another game like we just did against Michigan, there's no shot. I mean, and you're going to have, I think Jalen Suggs is a special defender. And I think he's going to be checking. Uh, Johnny Juzang most of the game. So if, if you're, you're gonna get, they're gonna need some big days from some other people to have a shot at this game. Yeah, no, for real. And you want to break down Baylor and Houston's run here to the Final Four. It's been a long time coming for the two of them. Yeah. Well, Baylor, they took care of business in first round. They beat a good Wisconsin team in the round of 32. Um, they dodged. North Carolina, they dodged Purdue, ended up beating Villanova. And then they also dodged Ohio State and played Arkansas. And they beat Arkansas. Baylor has some really weird kind of times where they look really good and they look unbeatable. And then other times where just like, what happened? It doesn't even look like the same team. It happened quite a bit in that Arkansas game. So they kind of dodged a few teams not as battle-tested as, let's say, UCLA is. Um, but Baylor, definitely one of the preseason favorites. They got some good players. Davion Mitchell is nice. Jared Butler is nice. And they got a squad. Yeah, for real. Meyer off the bench. Yeah, Baylor something else. This will be their first Final Four appearance since 1950. I had no idea it was that long but it's been 71 years since Baylor has last made the Final Four. It is pretty crazy stuff. And now Houston making their first Final Four appearance since 1984. We got some, this is some 
big time history matchup right here with these two going on. Houston took care of business in round one to barely beat Rutgers in round two. That was kind of a scare for them. Round Yeah, they got away with that one. Against Syracuse. Dejan Jarreau just strapped up Buddy Beheim in that game. Put him on clamps. They got some great defense, and then they beat Oregon State pretty handedly. The score doesn't look like it was, but it was it was pretty good. Um, they got some ballers. Yeah, Dejan Drew has got some crazy heart. I love the way he defends. And then you got my guy Quentin Grimes, who I've liked a lot since high school, transferred from Kansas, who's actually playing really well. He's shown a lot of growth. He's he's been in a college for about two three years now, and. The dude that came in at Kansas is not the same guy. He's he's improved a lot. Baylor, Houston, Final Four. I think I'm going to lean Baylor on this one. Both teams play kind of similar, but I think Baylor's got more offensive playmakers than Houston does. Um, that's just my take. Who do you think wins this one? No, I agree with that. I'm going to go Baylor as well. But you're right. Houston's one of the best defensive teams in the country. What they do is so good on the boards. Calvin Sampson is so keen on, you know, controlling the boards, winning with defense. And Houston has done a marvelous job with that. And Houston is the only team, and I believe in NCAA tournament history, to defeat four straight double-digit teams to get to the Final Four. So without any disrespect to any of those teams, Baylor is another beast Mm. than some of those teams that Houston has played. But Oregon State, Syracuse, and Rutgers gave Houston a pretty hard time at times. I know they cruised past Syracuse, but Rutgers and Oregon State were tough games for them. But it'll be very interesting to see how this one goes. I'm happy for Kelvin Sampson and Scott Drew. These are two coaches that have been coaching a long time, finally got their programs to the Final Four. It's it's an exciting matchup. But yeah, I think Baylor's going to win this game. I think this is going to end up being a Baylor-Gonzaga final. And the crazy part is if it does, after all the upsets that have happened in this I'm tournament, it. <laughs> it the potential, exactly, the potential national championship is exactly the way that we drew it up back in November. But there is still a game to be played. Gonzaga still has to play UCLA. Baylor still has to play Houston. And Houston and UCLA, I think, are more than capable of making noise. I don't know if UCLA is capable of knocking off Gonzaga. If they are, I mean, I, I don't want to say it, but it, it, it would be another UCLA story. But beats, I'm going to save that if I need to talk about it. If UCLA beats Gonzaga, Johnny Juzang is going to go like top five. I don't even want to talk about the, the possibility of that happening. But like, it's if it does, it would go down as one of the craziest... Yeah, it, it it would take a lot. That'd be an upset. It would take a lot, and the 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 good part for UCLA is they have a few days to prepare for Gonzaga, but Gonzaga also has a few days to prepare for UCLA. So I don't know. I think it's gonna be both games are gonna be very interesting to see what happens. But again, every time we've said a team, okay, Gonzaga should watch out for this, this team, where this is gonna. Some people I'm were hyping up. People were hyping up that, that Gonzaga-USC game. We're like, oh, that, that game's going to be must-watch TV. And the next thing you know, Gonzaga just rolls over USC. That game was over in the first five minutes of, of the game being played. So I refuse to say that, you know, that though this game's going to be close enough. It's like, no, Gonzaga has bullied every team that they've played this far. But UCLA has played every team they've they've played to a really high potential so this is going to be a really interesting game i'm excited to see how this happens 
Baylor will take on Houston. That will be the first game of the day at 5.15 on Saturday. And then that will be followed by UCLA Gonzaga at 8.30. Man, oh man, going to be a good one. This tournament has been pretty wild and it should should finish in three games that should be ones to remember. But speaking of games to remember and the Final Four, I wanted to bring this roundtable discussion here since it is the week of the Final Four of over the past decade, obviously, we didn't get a tournament last year, so we didn't really get to have this conversation last year. But let's break down some of the best Final Four runs of the past decade. B, I'll let you start with some of yours, and then I'll go to some of mine. But there has been a lot over the past decade. Yeah. Just at the start of the decade, the first two at the start, 2010-2011, Butler, right? The start of Brad Stevens' legendary coaching. Right, so in 2010, right, they were a five seed and they a pretty close game against Murray State at 32. And they beat the number one seed and number two seed in the region, Syracuse and Kansas State, Michigan State in a close one, and then lost to Duke with the, what have been the craziest shot in basketball history if Gordon Hayward would have made that shot. They went up against yeah, that's one to Three remember. Hall of Fame coaches, Syracuse, Michigan State, and Duke. This close to beating Duke, and wow, if that shot went in, imagine. That, that would have just been, that would have been the greatest shot ever, like hands down. 2011. Honestly, it's funny because the the way that people talk about that play too is like the greatest miss of all time. Yeah. And I mean, Coach K is always salty when he talks about it. He's like, it's not a shot, it's a heave. I mean, hey, you're right. Whatever. 2011, same Gonzaga, or sorry, same Butler team, this time without Gordon Hayward. I think they had Shove and Mack on their team. They were an eight seed. Um, and in the second round, they beat the number one Pittsburgh in a close one, beat Wisconsin, beat a number two seed in Florida, and then beat a Cinderella story VCU, and then eventually lost to UConn in the finals with Kemba Walker, but um, two back-to-back finals appearances, the birth of Brad Stevens right there, and uh, from a team we've never really heard of before that. Yeah, Butler really made a name for themselves those two years. They're definitely, Brad Stevens really put them on the map, and no one really knew who Butler was and, you know, where they were from or any of that stuff. You know, I didn't even know they were from Indianapolis until, like, a few years ago and that's when I put the pieces together and I was like whoa Butler's from Indianapolis and they played that national championship game in Indianapolis that's pretty cool but yeah that Butler team they did a heck of a job and speaking of teams and coaches that put their school on the map VCU what they did in that same year in 2011 they were the 11th seed and speaking of obviously as we're talking about UCLA going from the first four to the final four, VCU was the first team to do that, to go from the first four to the final four as they beat USC in the first four, Georgetown in the round of 64, Purdue, Florida State, Kansas, and then lost the Butler in the semifinals. Shaka Smart, really, that's when we all first heard about who he was back in that run. That was an insane run. I mean, I the only time... I ever heard about VCU was back in what was that? I think it was 2007 when they beat Duke. That was the first time that I ever knew that VCU was a school. And then they went on this final four run, which was pretty insane. And that's when the whole 
Shaka Smart's press defense became a thing and all that. But that, that VCU run was pretty crazy. I mean, Brad Burgess was on that team. Joey Rodriguez was another one. Some of those guys, I, I remember their names, but not completely. But some of those guys were on that team. But yeah, that VCU team was something to remember. And just to, to go back off of the Butler topic too, if Loyola Chicago made a run this year, I started I in my head I was starting to draw comparisons between Butler and Loyola Chicago. I'm like, what Porter Moser's doing with Loyola reminds me a lot of what Brad Brad Stevens did with Butler, but obviously Loyola got bounced from the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good point, actually. I mean, after 2011, uh, there's a 2014 UConn team. Yeah, that was a number 17. That was a weird tournament. I think they played a number eight seed. Kentucky in the finals, so it's kind of one of the lower seeded finals we've ever seen. But yeah, at the seven seed, they'd be seeing Joe's in the first round, and then watch this streak right here. They'd be the number two seed Villanova, number three seed Iowa State, number four seed Michigan State, and number one seed Florida. They just and number one overall yeah, seed they Florida just cleared their entire region, and they went up against Kentucky and won. That was not the Kemba Walker team. That was the Shabazz and Napier team. I think they had Boltwright on that team too. And that was a pretty good team. That was a pretty good team. Yeah, that team was wild. Kevin Ollie really made a name for yeah. himself that year. And then in 2016, this is one is a little bit different compared to the others. We, this is a Syracuse team. They were already Syracuse. It wasn't Butler coming on the map. But the difference between this team, this team was a 10 seat, right? And they went to the final four. But here's why it's not kind of the same. They played a lot of higher seeds. They dodged a lot of the best teams in their region. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an honorable mention. It's not something crazy. But they beat, they beat Dayton in the first round. They beat Middle Tennessee in the second round. That's the year Middle Tennessee beat Michigan State. And then they beat an 11 seed, Gonzaga. Yes. Which is still... Yeah, that was one of their... Yeah, that wasn't one of Mark Few's best teams going into that tournament. Oh, that's a bonus, but as an 11 so, seed? Yeah, Syracuse got some some schedule wins almost, and then they did play a number one seed in Virginia, and they beat them, and then they lost to Carolina in the Final Four. But 10 seed making the Final Four, regardless of what happens, that's still impressive. Oh, absolutely. And Syracuse, again, like I've mentioned on previous episodes, they do this every other year. They come in, they get a high seed or a low seed, and they always end up winning at least at the bare minimum of one game. I don't know how they do it, but they always do it. And another team in there, 2017, was South Carolina. That's one that kind of goes under the radar. There were a seven seed, beat Marquette. The big one was against Duke. And then they beat Baylor and Florida, eventually losing to Gonzaga. That's that's one that definitely goes under the radar. That was a good South Carolina team. That was a pretty crazy run. Yes. Yep. I was trying to remember a couple players on that team. But yes, Thornhill definitely. um, Yes. No, they were. They were. That was a scrappy team. And they went all the way to the final four. That was a pretty crazy run there. Loyola Chicago made their run in 2018. But the two that I'm going to talk about that I think for me were two very, very impressive runs. And I'll start with Auburn in 2019 as the five seed. This was such an insane run just because of their road. I think out of all the teams that we talked about, Auburn had the most insane road to the Final Four. 
They beat a scrappy New Mexico State in the first round, which was a tough one. New Mexico State missed a buzzer beater to win. So Auburn barely squeezed out of the first round. Then they got to play Kansas, a four seed, North Carolina in the Sweet 16, and then Kentucky in the Elite Eight. And then they lost to Virginia just barely in the Final Four. What a run that was by Bruce Pearl squad. To beat three Blue Bloods in a row, that was insane for Auburn. That was an insane run. Jared Harper, yes. Bryce Brown, Samir Doughty, Chumo, Kiki, some of those names. That was a great team. They were really talented. And I really hate that. I know a lot of teams went through this last year when the tournament got canceled. Auburn was one of those teams for me that I was saying they brought a lot of those guys back. They could have made another run. I was watching them last year before the tournament got canceled. I'm like, this is a team I think that could make noise again. It's unfortunate because I think a handful of those guys were seniors. So they obviously did not come back this year. And that's why Auburn eventually didn't make the tournament this year. But that run was insane. Will always be remembered. Charles Barkley's reactions were honestly pure entertainment. That was a hell of a run there. But I'm going to finish this off with Virginia's national championship run. This was one of the best runs I've seen in not just March Madness, or I wouldn't say best runs, best stories. Story's the better word for this. Because the run itself was, you know, eh. But the story was one of the best stories in all the sports, not even just NCAA. To go through what they did in 2018, being the first ever team to lose in the first round as the number one seed to UMBC, and then to come back the very next year and win the national championship is unheard of. They beat Gardner-Webb in the first round, Oklahoma in the second round, Oregon, Purdue, in which was one of the all-time classic, March Madness classics, Auburn in the final four, which is a career. Oh my God, Carson Edwards was amazing in that game. And Kyle Guy was great. Diakite for the tie. That game was unbelievable, an instant classic. And then when they played Auburn in the Final Four, that's another instant classic. And then Texas Tech in the championship game, which was another amazing game. So Virginia played a lot of very entertaining games in that tournament, but they won the whole thing. And that's why for me, that for me, that was the best Final Four run of the decade just because of the story. But if you had to pick one out of that group that you think is the best Final Four run, even if it's one that, that we didn't talk about, what would it be over the past decade? For me, it's Virginia. I mean, yeah, uh, you can't go wrong with a, a team that won. So I'm kind of thinking the UConn team, but I'm going to go actually with – it's a top for me. Either the 2014 UConn team or the 2011 uh, Butler team. I think um, the UConn team had a really tough road. They played one, two, three, four seeds, all four seeds in that national championship team. Um, but the 2011 team, Butler team, number eight seed school. Uh, it's just something about those small schools that get it done, you know? Yeah, no, honestly, it, it always happens. And I agree with the UConn one. That was for sure a heck of a run. What they were able to do as a seven seed to win the whole thing is very impressive. What UConn did in 2014, but yeah, I mean, there, there's been some amazing runs, and this year, there there could definitely be a crazy story. I mean, we got UCLA going from the first four to the final four. That's a great story in itself. Baylor, who hasn't been to the final four since 
50 would be a pretty incredible story. Houston, who hasn't done it since they had that amazing run back in the 80s. It's been a long time coming for Houston. And then Gonzaga, exactly. And then Gonzaga, we all know the elephant in the room that Jay refuses to talk about. But Gonzaga has an opportunity to make history as a national champion. So we know we're getting history one way or another. No, I think Gonzaga would. If Gonzaga ends up doing it, that'll be the craziest run, I think, maybe in all sports. Because Gonzaga's not. They've become a powerhouse in such like a mid major program. It's not even like a crazy program. And they're going undefeated. And if they, if they clean the table. Lizzie. That's, that's unbelievable. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna leave it at this. If Gonzaga wins the title, I'm going to have a field day on next week's episode. <laughs> that is, I'm just gonna leave it at that. I'm gonna have a ton of fun with that one if Gonzaga ends up winning the title. But I mean, for with everything that you've said about that, but no, I would have a lot of stuff to say about that. But one way or another. We're getting history, and that's what ultimately I know me personally. That's what I love about sports is I love a great story. That's what I loved when I when I saw the NFL this year, seeing Buffalo make the AFC title game for the first time in a long time. Seeing Tom Brady do what he did with the Buccaneers was unbelievable. You know, love a great history story, man. That's what that's what sports are all about. And I think we're definitely getting it in this final four. So you got Gonzaga against Baylor? So. Yep. That's what I'm taking. And you got the Zags beating Baylor. Yeah. All right, so it looks like we're on the we're on the same page of of that one. So yeah, I think the Zags are going to go over Baylor as well. I think Houston will give Baylor a tough shot. I think I don't think that game will be, you know, as close as it may or as as a blowout as it may seem. I think it'll be a lot closer than people think. But I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah. So. Very possible. It honestly is very possible. But we will see what happens on Saturday. Houston takes on Baylor in the first one. UCLA and Gonzaga will follow that up. And then the national champion will be crowned on Monday night at 9 p.m. on CBS. We're going to have a lot to talk about next Tuesday. We are going to have a lot to go over on Baller Island. So hopefully you can join us then next weekend. B, any last thoughts? Freshman player of the year for the women's UConn squad. She's a fun player to watch. You guys should go watch her. 100%. I love that one too because I've watched some of her highlights on social media the past few days. She's been hooping. So definitely that women's, the women's final four is also going on too. So don't definitely tune into that as well. But that's it for us for this week. Tune in next week. Keep it locked on the island. And don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter for more sports news and analysis. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Baller Island. Keep it locked. We got a lot more content coming your way. And don't forget to give Baller Island a follow on Instagram and Twitter for more sports news and analysis.